Hey everyone, this is Elias Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we're talking about your 4 and 15 Detroit Pistons. Ben Golker and I talk about the fracas between Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James, Luca Garza's turn as the starting center, the Pistons' struggles on offense, and the inferred tension, I want to be very careful, inferred tension between Cade Cunningham and Jeremy Grant. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how did it feel to watch the Michigan Wolverines beat the Ohio State Buckeyes? Laz, it has been so long. A decade since the last win, the last 17 years. Oh, man. It's been worse than the Pistons. That matchup has been worse than watching the Pistons. So... Wow, it was uh, it was emotional. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I couldn't believe it. I'm still in a little bit of disbelief. Uh, they pl- they played the perfect game, and we're going to the championship, and maybe the playoffs. I mean, get out of here. I would not have believed you. Um, you know, had you told me this when the season started. So, lot lots of fun, and I will say, you know, Cade McNamara being the Cade that saved my Michigan sports season. <laughs> Is not not what I was anticipating, but but I'm going to take it, and and hopefully the next few weeks are uh, continue to be good to us. Absolutely, I feel uh, very good about that Iowa matchup in Indianapolis. So, uh, you know, good luck to you there as well. And but I will say, just as a warning, I remember what happened the first time Michigan State made the playoff. It was it was ugly, ran into an <laughs> Alabama buzzsaw. Uh, I hope I hope you managed to evade that same uh, SEC shaped buzzsaw mm-hmm. in the playoff but yeah so the the first thing i wanted to talk about was actually something that feels a little a little old hat a little old new old news at this point but it was the uh isaiah stewart lebron james dust up that we didn't get a chance to talk about because it happened after we recorded last week and so ben just what were your what were your thoughts in the moment as you were watching uh the 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 scene in detroit <laughs> man old man ben just wanted me to uh give isaiah stewart a hug be like it's all right man it's not a big deal but at the same time you know i, I don't know i kind of enjoyed watching somebody get upset about something and, and try to do something about it i'm glad it did not actually escalate into a real fight i'm mm-hmm. glad it stayed you know threats and taunts and all of that kind of stuff I don't know, man. It, it did not look intentional to me. I've watched it numerous times. I still don't think it is. You know, I've seen LeBron's recent comments about it. I, I think I agree with him on that. But having said that, I also appreciate that Isaiah Stewart just, you know, simply addressed it very clearly and concisely and is ready to move on. So, uh, yeah, man, wild to see. I mean, he was beat up, bloody, all that stuff. 
um, you know, maybe this lights a little of a fire under them. And what I'm hoping is that it doesn't escalate into fireworks tonight. Me, me too. That would be the last thing I want. Although it is, it does appear that uh, at time of recording, LeBron James is listed as questionable for tonight's game. So he might not even play, which would be humorous um, <laughs> to, to say the least. Uh, I definitely, I definitely thought it was, uh, I thought it was more intentional than you did. I thought he definitely, LeBron definitely meant to contact, make contact with like a part of Isaiah Stewart. He did not mean to punch him in the face. And that's kind of what ended up happening. It's like, what, what level of intentionality you like ascribe to that? It's kind of here nor there. Like Isaiah kind of made it moot. Uh, the like the third time you try and evade security to to start something, um, I was pleasantly surprised that he was only suspended two games. I thought mm-hmm. that at the very least the NBA would try to prevent a, a rematch within a week and suspend him for uh, more than four games, and that clearly didn't happen. So I was surprised by that. I was surprised LeBron got suspended at all. Um, you, you know, with his reputation as like not a dirty player and as one of like the shining stars of the league. Uh, surprising to see him be punished in that manner. Uh, I think that's his only his, his second career ejection and first career suspension. So that, that was, you know, that was a little surprising to me. Um, but like in the moment, I was like, oh, Isaiah Stewart, like can't, it's like you can't keep charging. Like you, you can't do that. Like it's just, it's like they just had the, uh, like the dust up between Jokic and the Morris brother, right? Yeah. And it's like, that's kind of a similar thing where it's like, no matter, it's like no matter how bad something like is or feels like you, you like once the once the teams kind of separate and like you're supposed to cool down. And uh, I think that's what got Isaiah the suspension that he probably didn't deserve or that uh, that otherwise he wouldn't have deserved. He shouldn't have got he didn't get suspended for getting punched in the face. He got suspended for uh, trying to do something about getting punched in the face. And so, yeah, that was that was and that was an interesting night of basketball, though. I will say that was a, that was a crazy night of basketball. But that led to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is Luca Garza starting center for the Detroit Pistons. Ben, what are your thoughts about Luca Garza and how he's played this week? Yeah, I mean he's he's obviously not there, right? Um, to justify his minutes, I just, I just wanted for... I just wanted you to see what I've seen this whole. Oh time. yeah, no, he's definitely not there. I, I think in order to justify his minutes, he's got to be really good on the glass and he's got to be really efficient scoring the ball. He wasn't mm-hmm. either of those things. Um, you know, when I watch him play defense, it looks like a mighty struggle. I I still want more time to determine if the outcomes are as bad as it looks because he just he looks like he's laboring and trying so hard. And maybe it is. Maybe the defense really is as bad as it looks. But either way, yeah, I mean, he's obviously not a starting caliber player um, unless he starts rebounding the ball in it in some sort of close to dominant fashion, it's going to be really hard to justify anything other than some situational minutes here and there, I think. Yeah, I was, uh, I think it's tricky because to maximize his minutes on the floor, he needs to be featured offensively in a way that's like not really commiserate with his experience level at the NBA, not like how long he's been playing basketball. But like to get the most out of him, you need to be using him as like a stretch pick and pop threat like all the time. And it seems like they didn't the Pistons actually didn't do enough of that in in the, the Garza minutes that I saw this week. And so um, I find myself being like, if he's going to be on the floor, 
and you know he's going to have the the struggles that he has defensively it's like you might as well try harder to offset it with offensive production and i don't think they did a great job of that um i will say i thought he did he had a good stretch in the miami game in the first quarter defensively but after that um and this was something that uh i really noticed like once they made once the heat made a point to attack him defensively with like play designs and um like with uh, like side to side lateral movement, like it was kind of over. It's like that. That's really rough, right? Like that is the that's is like having such a. It's like if no one's game planning for Luca Garza, he's he can like you can come out you know below below average or like not super negative, but like the minute he becomes a target, it's like then it becomes a problem. And so like yeah, I was uh I was curious about because I know this we've talked about the rebounding needs of this team and so as you've talked about Garza as a guy you've wanted to see more of and so I was definitely curious about uh, what you saw out of him this week. Uh, what was that? So the there was a lot of there was a couple winnable games this week actually. I know it doesn't feel like it now, but like earlier this week they had fourth quarter leads in uh, two consecutive games, um, but they lost both of those games against the Lakers and the heat at home due to the offense, just really uh, coming up short in the final quarters. Uh, Ben, does it, does it it matter to you that the offense could like maintain some semblance of balance and production for three quarters and then should kind of shut down in the fourth? Or uh, is it more important that we just like fix the offense like overall? Well, you know, I think some of it too is that the the defensive screws tighten up a little bit. So it's not just like the offense is failing. I think it's also that, especially in the Heat game, I felt like the defense got turned up a little bit um, defensively for the Heat. Look, I'm I'm a big fan of competitive fourth quarters for a young team. I don't care at all about the wins and losses. I care about um, you know the young guys getting minutes and being put into situations where they have the chance to succeed or fail. And I think whether they succeed or whether they fail can be learning moments and teaching moments. So, you know, give me as many of those fourth fourth quarter competitive down the stretch sort of games as we can get, because I think those are just, you know, exponentially more valuable than, um, you know, some of the blowouts. I think, you know, we saw two games this week that weren't particularly close at any point in the Mm -hmm. game. Um, So, yeah, give me those, give me those fourth quarter fights anytime you can. Um, and then, yes, offensively. Um, wow, we're sort of a train wreck, right? Um, yeah. Whether it's the clutch or it's <laughs> any, at any point in the first three quarters, too. So lots to unpack there. But, yeah, I mean, happy to see at least two close games against two good teams. They're not moral victories. They're learning moments. And, and I think I'm okay with that. I like that. They're not, they're not moral victories. They're learning moments. The Pistons are 28th in offensive rating. And only like 0.1 away from 30th. They're they're much, much closer to being the 30th or the worst offense in the league than they are to being the 27th uh, best offense in the league. Uh, we After the Clippers game, uh, Dwayne Casey was still kind of harping on defense and you, on, on the team's defense and how that was going to kind of solve their issues um, in terms of like wins and losses. And you, you took to Twitter saying that you didn't really understand Dwayne Casey's instincts on this point. Defense is not this team's main problem. The net rating is approaching negative 10, which, ouch. Uh, they can't defend themselves out of that type of hole. The offense has to improve dramatically, 
and it's not just shooting. And so, Ben, I wanted to go a little bit deeper on that. But first, it's like the initial way I wanted to go deeper on that is to ask you how much of that you attributed just to the loss of, you know, Killian Hayes for four games, uh, Kelly Olenek for the last couple of weeks, and Isaiah Stewart for the first, like, half of the week. Well, those, you know, those three players all impact the team offensively. Um, Olenek probably the most. Killian, Mm -hmm. a surprising amount, I think, his three-point shooting and just ability to keep the ball moving and keep the plays running has been impactful and important. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking more about the tenure as a whole. I'm thinking about it more big big picture. Um, You know, they've been a negative net rating team in each of Casey's years, even the, the, the time that they went to the playoffs. And for the most part, they've been worse on offense than on defense this particular season is the most egregious i mean we're looking at a season ago negative four and a half before that negative three and a half near that they made the playoffs negative 0.2 which is you know pretty close to a a push um so you know it's it's been the last three seasons their their defense has been terrible (laughs) or excuse me their offense has been terrible and their defense has been, I don't know, I just feel like they've been better defensively than they've really had any reason or right to be over the last three seasons. And look, with how how dismal the offense is, I mean, how good would their defense have to be to make up for that in a, in a game like we, we saw this week? I mean, it would have to be, it would have to be top, like, you know, top 10. I mean, it would just have to be so much better than it is right now to overcome negative 10 net rating right it's it's just brutal so i don't know I, I don't have any problem with a coach building culture building habits and you know setting the tone like if you want minutes on this team you have to play defense i get all of that i'm for all of that but like honestly if Dwayne casey thinks that the reason they lost the clippers game was because of team defense like i'm just dumbfounded i don't i'm not seeing the same thing he is on the court i'm seeing an incredibly dysfunctional offense with you know guys being asked to do way too much guys jacking up terrible contested shots um, guys preferring dribble isos instead of moving the ball for who knows what reason game after game after game Um, and you know there's only so much a coach can do about miss shooting but i think there's a lot you can do about those other things and uh you know I, i hope the coaching staff is keying on on that because to me it's just it's painfully obvious you're just not going to win games when your your offense is this just absolutely atrociously bad. Yeah, we are we are coming up on tonight's game against the Lakers. I believe is the twentieth game of the season, so we're coming up on the quarter pole of the season, and a lot of the offensive struggles can still be attributed to um, guys like Sadiq Bay and like Jeremy Grant shooting worse than they did last year, but after a quarter of the season, it's like maybe it's time to start shifting expectations about like what kind of production and efficiency those guys should be capable of. Um, I do agree that the the offense does not is like not is very ugly to watch. It's very much not aesthetically pleasing at times, and I could I would be more okay with that if it was like magically more productive somehow, if some, if the isolations like went in more often, it would be a case of like, you know, results over process. But uh, at, at times it seems like both the process, like the process is driving the results and the process is really, really poor. And so I, I do just kind of wonder, 
I always wonder how to apportion blame in this situation, right? I wonder how much of this is, uh, I wonder how much of this is like Jeremy Grant breaking off the play and how much of this is Dwayne Casey permitting Jeremy Grant to break off the play because he's the highest paid guy on the team and they're, and still, despite his you know lack of efficiency, still probably and still their most productive like point per game score, right? This is like how much is how much is leash and and how much is like a, just a desire to like do what you want. It's like that that is the tough part for me. Um, and as far as like, uh, but I think definitely ball movement and player movement is something that we've talked about as a weakness of like a Dwayne Casey led offense for you know, since Blake Griffin was here. So I'm not surprised that those issues continue, but uh, like, you know, as the talent level on the team has fallen, it has only exacerbated those issues. Right. And so we're, you're right in that this is going to have to get figured out. Um, I just wonder if uh, it's like, I wonder if it's going, I don't think it's going to happen this season. Right. I don't think, I don't think there's a coaching change coming. And I don't see a, you know, massive upgrade in talent on the roster offensively, the likes of which would like elevate a Dwayne Casey system. And so I think this team is just kind of stuck. It was like, this team is just going to be a bad offensive team. Um, they're going to join, you know, the the Rockets and the Thunder and the Magic, who are also, I think, the other like four worst offensive teams in the league as just like young teams who don't have uh, elite level like offensive talent. And just like, don't put the ball in the basket enough. It's like, that's just going to have to be who the Pistons are for the rest of the season, unfortunately, to, to say. Um, the, the guy we hoped would kind of take them out of that zone, out of that place, is Cade Cunningham. But uh, even he's had his struggles this week. He had his first career triple-double on Sunday, becoming the youngest Piston in franchise history to do that. But his productivity has been down. His efficiency has been down. Uh, you tweeted that you were uh, you tweeted whether or not it was start time to start questioning his shot selection. You know, fifty two percent of his attempts are threes. He's shooting twenty five percent from three. Uh, both of those things are objectively awful, and at this point, it can't just be uh, due to missing camp. So, I wanted to ask you, Ben, like, what's the you know we're, we're talking about offensive struggles. Like, what's what's the solution for Cade? You know, as an individual to kind of resolve some of these. Uh, these shot diet issues yeah and you know with Cade I'm going to be critical of Cade in this this podcast episode but I want to be clear about what what I'm being critical of why and what that means I'm not in any way shape or form saying that Cade Cunningham is going to be a bust Um, I think he is tremendously talented I think um, all of the non-shooting parts and I literally mean just three-point shooting all of the non-three-point shooting parts of his game are already very, very good for a very young 20-year-old. So I am not saying anything about, you know, you know, Cade's not going to be any good. The Pistons need to move on. That's not my intention at all. Um, the thing that bugs me the most right now, though, is, is, the, is the shot selection. Um, if, if you're shooting league average three-point percentage-wise, taking – seven point something three point shots a game like Kate is doing now makes some sense to me. Right. Cause you're not losing ground, right. You're at, you're at least scoring somewhere on the league average when you do that and you're keeping the defense on it, which is probably part of, I think Kate's trying to do maybe instinctively. He's, 
and and I don't even think he's necessarily taking bad three-point looks. I mean, most of those seven three-point shots a game are in the flow of the offense and are not forced and aren't even necessarily particularly the contested. Um, you know, but as I've said before, Cade's, Cade's off-the-dribble game is just so dynamic and so difficult to deal with uh, that I think he's he's letting the defense off the hook and he's he's missing opportunities not just for himself but for his teammates. So three-point shot selection is where I, I can see a tangible improvement coming for him during the course of an NBA season. You know, when I look at his shot, like, well, how does he make his shot actually better? I think he just needs hundreds and thousands of repetitions in the gym, um, you know, going up against NBA-level defenders, right? I mean, he, he just needs to – to get the strength in his body and the muscle memory to improve his three-point shot. That's not, I don't think going to happen over the course of the season, you know, but the reason I, I timed things when I did is because we are approaching that point in the season. Cade obviously only has 14 games, not the full 19 that the rest of the team has, but his three-point shooting is, is really, really bad. And, you know, I, I'm not worried about this long-term in his development, Cade is not going to be a 25% three-point shooter next season or the season after that, right? He'll probably improve on that to some degree over the course of the season. And there are a number of like truly dynamic generational level talents who are at about his age came to the NBA and really struggled with their three-point shot. So like, you know, LeBron shot 29%, uh, Kevin Durant shot 28%. Um, you know, recently Devin Booker really struggled and now he's a lights out shooter. Trey Young is another guy who who wasn't particularly incredible. Um, so some of this, I think, is natural. But I think if you're going to be a 25% three-point shooter, while you also have all of these other really amazing dynamic offensive tools in your bag, like I'd like to see him use some of those other tools more often. Um if nothing else, I think it it'll give fans um, more to cheer for when they see Cade. Because honestly, like it's getting a little painful to see him go one for six, one for seven, two for eight from three, game in and game out. No, I I agree that it's painful to see Cade, uh, you know, go one for seven from three, seemingly like every other night. Um, I I just think that the the lack of like dynamism in the offense is also like affecting him right i think uh he so often wants to like make the correct basketball play and that you know that includes taking like open shots and he's that he's just not making um i think the i think the lack of a like true pick and roll threat in the in the starting lineup is hampering what he's familiar with being able to accomplish offensively. Um, there's a, I remember there's a play against the the Bucks where they had Gar- Garza was in, he sets high pick and roll, and Cade just like walks into an open eighteen footer, and it was like just like just do that all the time, but. Um, it's only possible because Garza Garza is a threat uh, to space the floor. And that, that kind of opens up everything else. Like, What'd you with... say there, Les? Hmm? Uh, oh, you I got think you me. said Garza is a threat. Garza is a threat. <laughs> <from the perimeter. laughs> 
Sorry, I'm screwing with you. (laughs) No, no, you're you're good. You're good. But I think it's like they they miss Kelly Olynyk, right? Like Kelly Olynyk would offer a lot of those same benefits, and he's like completely unavailable right now. And I think that's impacting the level of um, the level of aggressiveness and dynamism like we get out of Cade Cunningham. Like we like we've we've seen some beautiful flashes out of Cade, right? Like we've seen him finish over Kevin Durant. We saw him finish over Anthony Davis in, in the first Laker game. But we also saw Anthony Davis, you know, block uh, his three-point attempt and then kind of bait him into taking another shot at the rim and blocking that one. And, you know, some of the physical limitations that he's going to have to get used to uh, at the NBA level of guys being, you know, taller and faster than him. Um, I will say I, like the the other place that this shows up, that the both like the lack of uh, – the ton, the 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 lack of like aggressiveness from a shot profile perspective. The other place that this shows up is the free throw line, right? Correct. We 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 talked, you've talked about this specifically, like for a couple of weeks about his lack of free throw attempts and lack of easy points. And he's shooting a solid, very solid percentage from the line. I think he's shooting eighty eight percent from the yeah, line, if I remember 90. correctly. Yeah, yeah. It's like so if he could if he could get there more often, like that would probably be good for his offensive profile. But but like you say, he lets the defense off the hook a lot by by taking these off the dribble threes. And um, like that's that's hurting his uh, what could be his like productive office uh, offensive numbers. And so, like, yeah, it's just it's like, again, we're not we're not trying to say Cade's a bust, but like these are the things we are noticing after, you know, 15 games of the of the Cade Cunningham experience. Well, and I think, too, like, you know, for casual fans, there's probably not a ton of casual fans listening to the pod. But if you're a casual fan listening to the pod, like putting the ball in the basket is important, right? (laughs) So like basketball reference has this really cool tool. It's, it's, uh, it's called adjusted shooting. They've had it for a number of years and they basically say, okay, we're going to calculate the league average field goal percentage on a rolling basis, right? And they're doing this throughout the entire season. And we're going to compare every individual, every individual player to that league average. And we're going to say, okay, compared to the league average, how many points, is any given player adding or subtracting from their team based on their efficiency? And right now, through 14 games, Cade's number is negative 50, which is terrible. It's just absolutely awful. Now, you're right, Laz. This is not all about Laz being a, a, a poor three-point shooter off the dribble. There's a lot that factors into that calculus, and I agree with you 100%. But like when you start looking at the rest of the NBA, like that's that's the third worst in the entire NBA right now. It negative like that's that number. Kate has the third worst one in the entire NBA. And then Sadiq Bay is right right after him with negative 48. So both of those guys <laughs> struggling a little bit from the field, to put it mildly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, this is this is a part part of this is 100% natural for a 19, 20 year old kid Mm -hmm. to adapt to what it means to shoot the three ball in the NBA. But then there's also that Sadiq Bay factor too. Like he's also struggling mightily. And that I think supports your point, Laz. There's something about this offense right now. That's just really causing guys to struggle. Jeremy Grant too. We're seeing it from Jeremy. His numbers are way down from a season ago. Frank Jackson, even Josh Jackson shootings down a little bit. So I think Cade is probably emblematic of it because he's struggling the most uh, and it's partially because he's so young, Uh, but man, it it really is bad and rough. 
and I, I really don't want to resign myself to the fact that it's going to be this way all season, but you're right, Laz, it's been almost 20 games and it doesn't seem to be getting better. Right. So it's just, it's really bad right now. The, the yeah. shooting overall is just really bad. Yeah. And it's going to look worse for Cade because he's getting more usage, right. than like a Frank Jackson or a Josh Jackson as well. And so like, you know, uh, if Josh Jackson also shot the ball 15 times a game, like he might also be down there in, in, in the same place, but you know, because, you know, we know Cade is, um, going to be like a much better player than that he's going to get the opportunity to show that and it's you know that's part part of the reason why he's so bad right now offensively is because he's still getting the reps and the usage that um a you know five-year vet with uh with those kind of numbers like wouldn't get a guy with you know less potential upside wouldn't get these necessarily the same kind of reps yeah and to make people feel at ease like lebron james ended up his rookie season way in the negative so did kd so did Russell Westbrook. So did Giannis. So, like, this is not an uncommon thing. It's just very visible and apparent right now at the moment. Yeah. I mean, and if it makes you feel any better, you know, uh, the Rockets are going through a very similar thing with Jalen Green right yeah. now. Yeah. Right. Like, I think Evan Mobley is the only rookie who's, like, really escaped uh, this that, that level of uh, offensive, uh, you know, lack of efficiency. And that's partially because he's like the third or fourth option on his own team and, you know, making otherworldly contributions defensively, right? Like Jalen Suggs is doing terrible offensively right now, right? Like yeah. Scotty Barnes um, still hasn't, is still being productive, but like, isn't necessarily like shooting the ball very well. It's like, you, you know, this is emblematic of where a rookie should be 15 games into his career, but that doesn't mean we got to like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, uh, the next thing I want to talk about was Killian Hayes, Killian Hayes. Uh, they've rested him for the last four games. He is probable for tonight's game against the Lakers um, with that, that hand injury, that thumb injury. Um, I'd be, I'll be really curious to see what the offense looks like with him back in the lineup. Did you, did you feel like the team missed what he brought to the table on both ends? While he oh, was I absolutely did. And I was actually surprised by how much, um, part of it's probably because Corey Joseph was playing some of those minutes. <laughs> yeah, <Ugh. yeah>. <laughs> no, but welcome back, Killian. I hope he comes back healthy. I hope all of that swelling and inflammation is gone. Um, because look, his corner three has been good this season. And like I've, I've said over and over again, he's doing all sorts of things right uh, when it comes to not shooting the ball. Um, gosh, cliche, but like kind of glue, right? Like makes things sort of Mm -hmm. work without putting up gaudy scoring numbers so i'm absolutely ready to have him back you know shout out to um i think it was i think it was jasper on twitter who pointed out that uh you know cade's offensive struggles really seem to be exacerbated by the lack of killian hayes in not only because like Corey joseph was doing Corey joseph things <laughs> but uh you know defensively it felt like kate had to take on more responsibility because killian wasn't there um and that you know you know you have to play both ends in the four and that probably contributed a little bit um it's, it's interesting right because killian is both the pistons best three-point shooter and worst like field goal percentage <laughs> shooter uh, so it's it's funny to watch like that that guy like you know they often struggle without that level of like lack of efficiency. But you're right, the just the the off ball stuff, um, the the willingness to get into the paint 
um, maybe, you know, not necessarily make the best decisions while he's there, but the willingness to, to get to drive into the paint and make stuff happen. I think the Pistons uh, clearly like lacked that while he was gone. And so um, it's just, is is weird, is weird to be reminded of like how valuable uh, Killian is, despite the fact that he's averaging like, you know, six points a game or something like that. Um, that the, the one bright spot of the Killian injury though, was eventually we got some time from Saban Lee. Saban Lee uh, played against, he played more than 20 minutes against the Bucks and the Clippers. Um, it, it felt good to see him on the court, but Ben, he shot like seven of 19 from the floor, only two of eight from three, seven assists, two turnovers in two games. Was he like actually that much better than Corey Joseph or did it just like feel better to like watch like not Corey Joseph? No, I, I mean, it pains me to say Corey Joseph is still a better basketball player than, uh, than Saban Lee. And, uh, look, the, you you summed up the negatives already. He was way too shot happy. I mean, he came out <laughs> against the book Bucks like he was playing in the preseason, right? Like he was still the G League superstar putting up 15 shots in 20 minutes. I don't think he needs to do that. He looked a little more sane against the Clippers to me. I will say the thing that I wish he could just like transfer over to Cade and Killian is just the absolute no fear attacking the rim. Um, who did he challenge in transition to try to dunk, to try to dunk on and got blocked? I don't remember at this point, but the fact that he was willing to try, right? The fact that he plays downhill and when he has the opportunity to get to the paint and or the rim, he attacks, especially Killian. I would like to see some more of that. So if that can be contagious, uh, I'm, I'm ready for some more saving Lee. And if for no other reason than he was not an old veteran point guard, you know, I was happy to see him in the roster. But yeah, I mean, ultimately not not the best minutes we've ever seen out of a backup point guard. Yeah. I was a little disappointed that despite the the like big success that he's had in the G League shooting the ball from three, um, he still looked uh a little bit uh tentative to shoot from distance in his NBA minutes. Like obviously, you know, he's taken eight threes in two games, but I can think of several possessions like against the Bucks, especially where, you know, he was, he was willing to take 15 shots, but like was record scratching when, when the ball got swung to him uh, on the perimeter. And you'd, you'd like to see a little bit, you would like to think that the G league kind of buoyed his confidence and that um, he'd be willing to take those shots, but we're apparently we're not there yet. And that's fine. Um, but yeah, like, it, I, we we talked a little bit earlier about like how uh, from a production and aesthetic standpoint, like the offense has been ugly, like at least Saban fixes the aesthetics, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, he's, he's fun to watch in a way that uh, Corey Joseph uh, isn't right now. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I don't know if Saban will like return, will continue to be in the lineup with Killian Hayes' return. Um, I don't know if he goes back to the cruise or uh, what, what the plan is for him, but uh you know, it was still it was still nice to see him uh, take some minutes while uh, while the team was was resting Killian Hayes for sure. All right, Ben. Uh, Trey Lyles, the small ball center experiment. Um, I, I said this on Twitter is I feel like Trey Lyles needs to be like eight percent better at everything, and even that would only like make him like a quality <laughs> NBA player, not even like a superstar, just like a, a decent NBA player. But what what have been the uh, the early returns on, on that experiment to you, Ben? Well, I feel like he's determined to prove your preseason assessment of him correct, Laz. 
uh, wow. You know, he started off playing pretty well, I think, in the first week of the season. But, boy, his shooting has just, like everybody else, apparently, just fallen off a cliff and disappeared. Um, you know, the one thing he actually is doing surprisingly well is, is rebound the ball defensively. He's been among the better rebounders of the team, which was surprising to me. I think second behind Isaiah Stewart, if I if I look correctly at defensive rebounding. But uh, offensively, you know, he's as much of a struggle as everyone else right now. And if he's not shooting the ball well, there's just very little else that he offers, right? So yeah, pretty pretty underwhelming stuff from Trey Lyles the last week or two. Yeah, one one of my frustration my frustrations with the Lyle signing was that even at the time he was a he was profiled as a stretch big, but he's never been like an elite or even like a you know a very highly above average three point shooter. I think he had one. He's had like one year where he's at like thirty eight percent, and right now he's at twenty seven percent. Like I don't think he's a twenty seven percent three point shooter, but I, if he shot you know only like thirty three percent from three. Um, on the season that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me but that also like would not be very good for a stretch big man and so I, I it's, it's been frustrating that the thing he is like ostensibly supposed to be good at he, he hasn't been good at and it's been exacerbated even more by putting him at center instead of power forward right um, teams are teams are willing to let him continue to shoot and uh, willing to like play off him to clog passing lanes and clog driving lanes uh defensively in a way that they wouldn't be if he was as big a offensive threat to shoot from out there as kelly olenic or luca garza or luca garza <laughs> uh but yeah so so watching him you know be undersized be you know be competing on the glass but uh not offer much in the way of like rim prote- protection or shooting it's just been like a really it's been a really dicey proposition and I've, I've just been, I've been almost like mad at how often I've been like, man, I really miss Kelly Olenek, right? <laughs> like Kelly Olenek wasn't supposed to mean this much to this team, but apparently he just, he does. It's an ugly and frustrating way to lose games, Laz. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of ugly and frustrating, Ben, let's talk about <laughs> Jeremy Grant. You said that the Pistons needed to trade Jeremy Grant. I believe that was a bit of frustration during a, one of his like more uh, isolation heavy stretches during the Clippers game. But it just brought it just brings me back to your your Stackhouse comparison that you made a couple of weeks ago. Um, and not only is he um, kind of presiding over a uh, a stretch of uh, t- of like bad team play for the Pistons, but uh, in in kind of his knowledge that like he has to carry the team offensively, he's um, he's he's forcing the issue offensively in a way that I don't think is good for him or the team. Uh, he's he's leading the team in shots. You know, Kate is taking he's taking fifteen almost sixteen shots a game. Kate's taking fourteen shots a game. Sadiq is taking you know almost fourteen shots a game. And aside from that, like you know. Kelly Olenek was taking 10 shots, but he's out of the lineup. And aside from that, like nobody else on the team is taking 10 shots a game. And so I, I can see him pressing to to try and take over the offense in a way that I don't feel like has been helpful for him or the team, Ben. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, look, um, I'm going to walk back the by the deadline part because you're right. That was kind of a pithy, frustrated tweet. Um, but look, I think the, the Pistons very, very clearly need to significantly upgrade the talent base, right? 
when you look up and down the roster, you've got a bunch of young guys on rookie contracts. You're probably not going to want to trade them. And then you've got a handful of veterans on pretty small contracts, right? And even if you could trade every single one of them, the contracts are so small that like, what is it that you're bringing back? So naturally to me, Jeremy Grant looks like the best trade chip that you have. And maybe it's not by the deadline. Maybe it's next deadline or maybe it's this summer. Um, But the reason I feel like trading him is ultimately the best solution for the franchise is because I'm, I don't know, Laz, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't see him and Cade necessarily working that well together. You know, clearly the offense as a whole is is dysfunctional. I wouldn't place the blame squarely on those two um, completely, but I would also say that the two of them not figuring it out is not helping things, right? Um, Then I would also think about timeline, okay? Jeremy Grant's going to be in his late 20s by the time we're thinking about Cade as approaching his prime, right, three, four years from now. So, um, sure, you could just let Jeremy's contract expire and, and use whatever cap space you have as a result of that. But I don't know. I feel like maybe there's more value for him in the trade market than what you could get in free agency. Um, and look, I, I don't know, man. This, there's, I keep coming back to that comment Troy Weaver made about, you know, Jeremy Grant's going to be the number one offensive option or, or something of that effect on media day. And, and you're right. He's pressing. I think that's exactly what he's doing. Some of it, I think, is because he understands he's the most versatile scorer on the roster and he's trying to do it for the team. But I keep coming back to those moments, not from this week, from the week prior, where he was kind of calling off Cade in the fourth quarter. And I just, I, I keep coming back to that and I don't like that look. It looks like he's, he's trying to justify himself as the primary scorer. So I guess for all of those reasons, like, yeah, man, I think, I think they need to trade him because not, not because it's about him as a player, so much as is it about like you know where is the roster as a whole right now and how does the roster improve and i guess i see him as one of the most viable options and paths to that no absolutely i i liked that you brought up that the i don't want to create something that's not there but i also see a a tension between um jeremy grant and Cade cunningham from an offensive standpoint and the first time I like really thought about this was in Cade's post game comments after the Laker game. Actually, um, they like they asked Cade about the fourth quarter struggles, and he said, "You know, he said guys are really confident in their shot." And to me, like that struck me as just like a a not a it was a very slight shot at Jeremy Grant, who, if you remember, had like been you know, deadly hot going into halftime and in the, the third quarter of the, the Lakers game and then, you know, continued to shoot when he, we didn't have it in the fourth quarter. Um, and like the, that tension I think is going to be there. Um, I hope it, I hope it's not like, you know, going to tear the, I don't think it's going to tear the locker room or anything apart. Like those, both those guys are pretty high character guys. I don't think they're, you know, scrapping over like who gets to shoot, but um, it is interesting that like, this is Kate Cunningham's team. Right. Like he he's come in and shown himself um, even even as he's been as inefficient as we've talked about from a from a leadership perspective, from a poise perspective, from a talent perspective. Like it's very clear that it's going to be his team like moving forward. And that leaves Jeremy Grant, who you know took control of the team last season, that leaves him in like a, a tenuous spot. Like what kind of like, you know, what is his role on, on a Cade Cunningham team? And like, does he still think of it? Does he does he think it's Kate Cunningham's team? Does he think it's his team? Um, 
So like that, that will warrant watching the the rest of the season. Um, and again, like I, I don't think those guys are like you know fighting in the locker room or anything. But I, I think that's something that just like that's, that's like a, that's a that's a workplace uh, you know conflict that you, you got to keep an eye on, right? Um, and the the other thing I'll say about Jeremy Grant is that. Um, you've taught, we've talked about his like level of aggression. I've used kind of his free throw attempts as, as a shortcut for that. Um, what, what I will begin to say, or what I will start to say is like, it, that can't be the only proxy we use. Like we also have to start looking at like how many times he starts like breaking off the play or like how many times he's, he's taking these low, uh, efficiency isolation shots as, um, as a measure of like how effective he's being, um. It, it always appears that like when he's more decisive, when he's just like catching the ball and attacking immediately, it always feels like he's more efficient and productive. Um, and, and the team looks better when, when he decides to be more decisive and do that. And when he doesn't take like, you know, defensive matchups personally or anything like that. And so like, yeah, I'm, I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, very stringently against you that, you know, I didn't think Jeremy Grant was going to be traded. I still think it's unlikely that Jeremy Grant is traded. But um, I do think uh, I do think that trading Jeremy Grant is starting to make more and more sense. Um, but it's odd because as as Jeremy Grant starts to become more and more tradable, uh, his his value as a trade asset is probably decreasing as uh, he continues to be inefficient and uh, less productive than he was last year. Yeah, that's so. the wild card for me. Like, there's a part of me that thinks, okay, twenty games into the season, you can write off a lot of this as um you know a bad fit next to Cade Cunningham a shooting clump, slump happening at the same time etc the question for me is are we seeing an actual regression with Jeremy Grant or is this just a function of the situation that can be remedied and I think the answer to that question probably impacts um you know the number of teams that are interested in him and for how much yeah I, I think I think the league generally understands that if Jeremy Grant is traded, wherever he is traded to, he will probably no longer be the number one option. And you have to operate under the assumption that he will be, uh, as he's asked to do less, he will, he will be able to do more. He'll be Mm -hmm. able to be more effective. Um, It's just, it's just impossible to where it's, it's not in the Pistons best interest right now to ask Jeremy Grant to do less because he is one of the few guys in the team who's capable of, uh, of you know, of taking on that kind of load uh, offensively. All right, Ben, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, we asked, I asked you last week if they were going to win a game on the road trip. You said no. It's looking looking <laughs> mighty bleak. Uh, they play the Lakers tonight. They play the Blazers on Tuesday. They play the Suns. The Phoenix Suns have won sixteen straight games, Man. and they play the Suns on Crazy. Thursday to close out that road trip and. That ends their uh, their that ends their basketball week. They play the Thunder at home on Monday. So Ben, uh, do they like do we see a, ma- a miracle in a crypto arena tonight against oh, the Lakers? Do you think gosh. you think we uh, think we have a shot against the Blazers, or is this a, another winless week of basketball? Crypto arena is officially the worst name for any sporting venue in <laughs> professional sports. My goodness, and I'm uh, I'm not going to go there. I was going to say I like the technology of crypto. We'll forget that part. I think that if LeBron doesn't play, the Lakers are really vulnerable right now, and I think the Pistons are going to be amped given last week's fracas. 
So I'm going to target the Lakers as the most winnable of the bunch uh, until we get to next week's Oklahoma City game. Yeah, they they better. So they play the Thunder on Monday, and they fly home on like Friday, I assume. That's that's a nice little bit of NBA rest to come out and beat uh, another team that's kind of you know at the same point uh, in the standings that you are. I would really hope that they come all out and they're able to take that game. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. Um, yeah, the Lakers, Lakers lost to the Kings yeah. <laughs> in triple overtime. Uh, that's real bad. Kings are on their interim head coach. Um, I still struggle to say the Pistons should be anyone, but <laughs> I agree with you that that looks like the, uh, the most vulnerable, te- vulnerable team the Pistons will play this week. Uh, Phoenix is just, uh, a, a machine right now. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see where, uh, where they end up, uh, when, when the dust settles and, and the, uh, the smoke clears. All right, Ben, uh, I'm going to go eat a bunch of Thanksgiving leftovers. Let the people know where they can find you and where they can find you working on your own Thanksgiving leftovers. <laughs> hey, man, I've got my my stretchy waistbands on already, so I'm, I'm ready for some leftovers and some Pistons basketball. Uh, am I ready for Pistons basketball tonight? <laughs> I don't know. At BR Gulker on Twitter. Try to get into the comments at Detroit Bad Boys, especially the podcast posts. I'm always reading them, even if not replying, so. Welcome thoughts and feedbacks and appreciate uh, all the support from the community. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can always, if you fall asleep during the Lakers game, you can always just say it was the Turkey. Right? <laughs> That's true. That, that excuse still works. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and, and talk to me about basketball and Pistons basketball uh, at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I'm also pretty active in the uh, comment post on the podcasts. Um, significantly less active across the site but i'm still reading everything and trying to process everything and we still appreciate the the people who uh leave a lot of comments on on the podcast post that means a lot to us thank you very much all right this has been the detroit bad boys podcast thank you for listening and we will talk to you all next week see ya